you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 38. We've been talking, as Tanya mentioned, just taking a pit stop from the series we were in on sound doctrine, just to talk about our vision and our unique DNA that God chose to give us. We didn't take a church planting course, and there's nothing wrong with that. But almost 20 years ago, God called us without those kinds of tools. And he was calling us to start something that was diverse, uh, beyond race, but also include economics, culture, politics, uh, denomination, right in the middle of Williamson County, one of the wealthiest counties in the country, uh, to do a work. And here we are today now in Davidson County, and the work still goes forward to experience and to expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. The kingdom of God speaks of the rule of Jesus because he is the king and he has dominion over everything, every realm, every sphere, every person, whether or not they acknowledge it or not, he is the king. And we're so glad that in his kingdom, he goes after the least, the last, and the lost. And if you have enough sense, you can recognize that you're one of those. And you qualify to be a part of his kingdom, whereby he is bringing people to sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from all over the world, every nation. It's a diverse kingdom. And the sins of his church, unfortunately, led to a divided church and thus a powerless kingdom representation because of the sins prejudice, racism, the love of money that led to roots of all kinds of evil. But he's always had a remnant. He's always had a people who have been willing to stand up in spite of the flow of culture or even the flow of church culture to stand and be a witness for him in the midst of ridicule, despair. We still stand. And that's strong tower. Now, I have to tell you that I'm, I've never been to jail. I've never been to prison. But in a strange way, I kind of feel like unless I go, I haven't really fulfilled my destiny. Pastor Chris, what are you talking about? I am not going to go to Kroger and pocket a steak and walk out or some crab legs no, I'm not going to suffer for unrighteousness. But I think the day is coming where we're going to suffer for righteousness in this nation, whereby preaching the truth can become a hate crime and people like me will be cast into prison. If certain government officials ask for my notes on certain topics or try to ban me from speaking on what the Bible says, 
then we might as well get ready to come see your pastor. Bring me a little something, something. Send me a little care package uh, because, man, I, I'm going to end up there. But, you know, I'd be in good company because there have been so many great men and women of God who found themselves behind bars throughout the ages because they were persecuted for standing up for what is right. Now, in hip-hop, these little snotty-nosed rappers that wear their pants hanging off their behind try to get street cred by having gone to prison. And so if they go to prison, that means their record sales will go up because that shows they've got some kind of street credibility and all that kind of garbage. But when you look at it, though, I believe it's moving to a place where for pastors to have credibility or even for any Christian leader or Christian to have credibility, it may come to a place where you're going to get credibility by being persecuted in a way this nation has never seen. And I'm not trying to give some kind of political statement here, even though the Bible addresses politics uh, tremendously. But what I'm saying is that today's man of God that we're going to look at found himself in prison. Jesus went to jail. Peter and all of the apostles went to jail. Paul went to jail. And when they went to jail, the ministry of God did not stop. And there were times when God miraculously delivered the apostles from jail. And today we're going to see that he's going to deliver the prophet from jail. But there are others like John the Baptist who died in jail, who had their heads cut off and weren't even given the dignity of a proper burial. But his disciples came, took his headless body out of Herod's jail and gave it a proper burial. So persecution. Today we see a man of God who finds himself not only in jail, but in jail in a dungeon. And not only in a dungeon, but in a pit. In a miry pit. Let's see how he got there. Jeremiah chapter 38 verse 1. Now, I don't know how to pronounce all these names, so we're going to remix them. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukul, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malachiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans or the Babylonians shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore, the princes said to the king, please let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah the king said, look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon, there was no water, 
but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. So the first thing we're going to see today is that Jeremiah's in the mud and he's sinking. Jeremiah's in the mud. And why is he in the mud? He's in the mud for righteousness' sake. He's in the mud because he stood up for God and he spoke a word that the people of God didn't want to hear. And they even went and hired their own prophets to say what they wanted to hear. And their words were in conflict with Jeremiah's word. But God was speaking through one prophet, and that was Jeremiah. So what was the word that Jeremiah spoke that landed him in jail, where they moved him three different times from being in Jonathan's house, which had been converted to a jail, chapter 37 talks about, and how they didn't feed him for days. And Jeremiah so abhorred that place that he said to the king, please do not send me back to that place. So they moved him from that particular jail and put him into the court of the prison. And from there, they moved him into what we just read of today, and that is Malchiah, the king's son. He also had a court within the kingdom, and there was a prison there that also had a dungeon and a pit. So he's been transported from place to place, and the question is why? Well, briefly, Israel had stopped listening to God. And they started doing their own thing. And they forgot about the God who had redeemed them from Egypt and called them out. And not only calling them out of a physical place into another physical place called the land of promise, but he was calling them out of a spiritual place, a place of spiritual captivity, into a place of freedom, spiritual milk and honey, where they would worship their God and enjoy him forever. But they turn from the one true God, for there's no one like Jehovah. And they began to worship the man-made gods of the lands, idols. And much of the idolatry centered around taking advantage of the poor, meaning that they were making their coffers fat while they took advantage of people with lesser means. Another form of idolatry that went with their Obsessive materialism for money was also gross sexual immorality. They were also giving their children over to these gods to pass through the fire. They were killing their own children. And when the prophets would come and speak to the people of God, they would stone the prophets. So Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, came on the scene and he said to them, well, since you did not repent... Judgment is coming against this nation, and you cannot stop it. The Babylonians are laying siege around the city. But here's where they hated Jeremiah, because Jeremiah said, if this nation, starting with the king, were to surrender to the Babylonians, then the Babylonians would spare the people and not destroy the city. And so Jeremiah, they thought, was a coward and was one that worked for the Babylonians, that he was committing treason by even suggesting that the people of God not fight but surrender to the Babylonians. And so that's why they said his message is weakening our people. 
And so Jeremiah said, now, if you do not surrender, I guarantee you, they're going to burn this place down. And they're going to take more artifacts out of the temple. And they're going to kill the king. Well, people did not listen. And they threw Jeremiah in jail for his message. Where they expected him to die a slow death from thirst, hunger, suffocation, and hypothermia. So there is the man of God suffering for righteousness. So just because you do the right thing, that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to you. As a matter of fact, because you do the right thing, you can expect bad things to happen to you. For if anyone would desire to live godly in Christ, they will suffer persecution. For it has been granted unto us not just to believe on him. Oh, I just want to be a believer. But what about suffering for his sake? Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So when you know the Lord in a world that is against God, you and I, we stick out like sore thumbs. We are pilgrims, sojourners. We are passing through. Our citizenship is from above. We are aliens. We are strangers. We don't fit. So when we speak the words of the Messiah, people will either love those words or they'll hate the words and even hate the messenger of those words. And that's where it's always been. And when Jesus returns and before he returns, it's going to get worse. So I just want to know, who feels like they're sinking in the mud of suffering today? Sometimes the enemies that you're going to face are going to be the members of your own house. Some of you have a husband that doesn't support you loving on this Jesus. Some of you have a wife that doesn't support you being all fanatical about Jesus. And you get persecuted by your spouse. Some of you have fathers and mothers and sons and daughters who persecute you because you're trying by the grace of God to live upright in this crooked and perverse generation. You get dogged on your job because you're not repeating the joke that everybody else has been saying. You're getting dogged by your friends because you don't believe in certain tenets that they believe in as far as how they live their lives and you're being persecuted and you feel like you're just sinking and all alone in a dark place but you're not by yourself there's someone who's with you in the midst of that he'll never as we sang today leave you and he won't forsake you but some of us are sinking in a pit today of physical suffering as Kirk shared about his friend there are people with some physical ailments serious issues in your body in your mind Some of us are dealing with all kinds of issues, bipolar conditions and depression, and it's real, and we're hurting, and God hasn't delivered us just yet. Some of us are medicated, and we're struggling. Some of us are struggling financially, and we just can't seem to make ends meet. They just keep moving further and further apart from one another, and we're suffering. We're sinking today. Some of us are sinking because of bad choices. We know we shouldn't have did it. We know we shouldn't have said it. We know we didn't need to go there. 
but we did it, we said it, we went there, and now we're suffering because of choices that we made, and we're sinking in the mud. But the same God who won't leave you when you're suffering for righteousness is the same God who won't leave you if you're suffering for unrighteousness. Because that's what makes grace, grace. It's unmerited, unearned favor. That's what makes mercy, mercy, that God is kind to you even when we don't deserve it. And so when he shows up and he lavishes his love on you, that mercy ought to be enough to lead us in repentance whereby we don't fall into that same mud trap no more. But he knows that we're sheep and we're prone to wander and we still make our way towards the mud. But if you're in the mud today, if you're struggling with any kind of issue that's weighing you down, I got good news today. Because when you're in a spot like this, you need somebody to get you out. You need a save your. You need a deliverer. You need someone anointed and specializing in this kind of rescue operation. And his name is Jesus Christ. He will not only pull you up out of the mud, but he will join you in the mud and lift you up out of the mud, for he is the rock in the mud for which we can stand on to get out of the mud. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of those of us who are broken and struggling and bruised and abused. He's with us. Oh, my. But Jeremiah, oh, he's in the mud. Well, let's look at verse 7. Now, are you there? Verse 7, Jeremiah 38. Watch out, y'all. Now, Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian. Y'all see that, don't you? The Ethiopian, the African, the Cushite. Uh-oh, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon when the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin. Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah, the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here 30 men with you. And lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Abed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from their old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Abed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Well, secondly, I want you to see is that Jeremiah's mud brother rescued him. His mud brother rescued him. Well, who is Ebed-Melech? Well, from this text, we see he is the king's servant. He has a government job. He has access to the king. He works for the king. Well, he's also a eunuch 
which means that he may work over the king's harem because the king wouldn't put anybody around his women that had all of his pipes. So in order to hold that job, you had to be pipeless. Explain it to your children when you get home. But he had been castrated. But he's also an Ethiopian. Four times in chapter 38, three times in chapter 38, one time in chapter 39, Ibed Melech is described for us as being an Ethiopian. Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian. Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian. Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian. Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian. And the question is, why does the Bible go through such lengths to repeat the ethnicity or what we would call today the race of this man? Because we live in a society, especially amongst evangelical Christians, we don't ever want to talk about race. We don't ever want to see race. We don't want to say race. We don't want to hear race. But here in the Bible, we read, we see race. You keep coming to Strong Tower, you're going to trade in those one-dimensional bifocals for some truly multi-dimensional lenses, and you're going to be able to see stuff jump out of the pages like you've never seen before. Don't let it scare you. This is a beautiful thing. God is calling attention to this man's ethnicity because he wants us to see it. Because love will cross racial barriers. The love of God will cross racial barriers. What special qualities did this man, Ebed Melech, exhibit? He exhibited leadership. This African man exhibited leadership. He had courage because he stood up in the time of crisis and made a stand. He he says, I'm going to do something about the situation. And then he led 30 men. So the proof that you're a leader is that there are people willing to follow you, and they followed this man because this was not an easy mission. We think the mission to go in and get Osama bin Laden was something, but this was a serious mission here where Abed-Melech and these men with them risked their lives because the king, who is somewhat schizophrenic, double-minded, one minute has Jeremiah thrown in prison because of the influence of his advisors. Then he tells one of his servants, a eunuch, to go ahead and let him out. So when you have a double-minded king, he's unstable, and he can have you killed at any time. And then you have people who think you're conspiring with Jeremiah, who they think is conspiring with the enemy, and they could kill you. This was a serious mission. But they went and did it anyway, and they had ingenuity. This man said, "Uh, we got to get this man out of this hole. We got to get him out of this pit. We got to get him out of this mud. How are we going to do that? Well, ingenuity and creativity kicked in. The right side of his brain that deals with creativity began to merge with the left side of his brain that deals with logic and reason. And they said, throw the ropes down. You know, that's logical. But now, throw some rags down, that's creative. And Jeremiah, put them rags under your arms so that the ropes don't burn you and hurt you when we pull you out because you're so deep in the mud. You see, necessity is always the mother of invention. I don't have time to talk about how we grew up and we couldn't afford drums. What did you do when you couldn't afford drums and you grew up? You turned oatmeal boxes into drums. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying today. 
What do you do when one of the legs on the table or the chair is gone? And what do you do? You don't throw it out. You get a what? A phone book and you put it up under that chair. This generation don't know about ingenuity like when we were coming up or even generations before us. They didn't throw nothing out. Oh, they used that hanger that broke and put that on the TV as rabbit ears. Oh, don't throw that aluminum foil out that wrapped that chicken up when we went down south. Grab that aluminum foil and put it around those wires to help with the reception with the TV. Oh, wait a minute. The TV knobs done broke off. Don't throw the TV away. Get them pliers out the back and put them on that thing now. Mama, mama, we ain't got nothing to eat, mama. You got any bread in the house? Yeah, there's no bread. There's bread, but there's no meat. You better make yourself a wish sandwich. What's a wish sandwich? Put two pieces of bread together and wish you had some meat. Shut up and wait till I get home. That's how we grew up. But not today. Our parents had that MacGyver spirit. They could just create stuff. And here, this brother in this, hey, man, put them rags under your arms, bruh. We're going to pull you up out of there. But the main quality that he had outside of leadership and ingenuity was love. What would make you put yourself in harm's way? What would make you be inconvenienced? What would make you step out into a possible situation that could hurt you in return? It was love. It was love. He loved the man of God. He loved God. And he said, you know what? If we let this kind of injustice go on, where they're persecuting righteous people, they're going to come get the rest of us because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So let me stand up to let them know they just can't keep doing this kind of stuff to good people. Love will make you step up and step out. And he did that and he became Jeremiah's mud brother. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, Jeremiah's own people put him in that spot. <laughs> y'all don't hear me. Y'all don't want to go with me. But I'm going to go there anyway. Some of y'all come on, go with me. His own people put him in that hole. But it was someone of another ethnicity that helped pull him out of that hole because love will cross and transcend exterior barriers and boundaries that we set up that God created to show his handiwork, but we look at it and go, oh, no, we don't mix. We don't fraternize. And I said last week that the people who have hurt me most, not that I have not been hurt, hurt by people outside of my culture, but it's been black people who've done more damage to me than any other people. But I thank God for white brothers and brown brothers and red brothers and yellow brothers and sisters who've helped pull me out of holes that my people verbally put me in. That's the kingdom of God. So a mud brother, be a mud brother, be a mud sister. Here's the main point. Be a mud brother to another regardless of color. Be a mud brother to another regardless of color. Why? Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for the day of adversity. If you passed out right now, like we had a lady when we first came into this place and she fell out up there, those paramedics showed up. And in the meantime, our nurses and doctors were helping that person. Y'all remember that? 
and they were different colors helping that person. And then the paramedics showed up, and I believe they were African-American men, and the person that passed out was white. Now, let's just say that the person that passed out lift up one eye and was like, wait a minute now, I don't let African-Americans touch me. <laughs> mouth to mouth, not hardly, I'll just die. You'd be a fool to resist help when help comes to you in a package that you may not have appreciated historically. If you reject the help, that just means you're not desperate yet. <laughs> or you're so stubborn, you'd rather die than submit to love from another color. Mark 3, chapter 31, I mean, chapter 3, verses 31 through 35, Jesus says, when they said, your mother and your brother's outside, and he said, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Because the family of God can transcend your biological, natural family. You can be closer to people who you are related to by the blood of the lamb than people in your family that you're related to by the blood of your mother and your father. Because the love of Jesus does that. And I'm going to tell you this right now, and I'm going to sit down in a sec. But one of the most impactful things I've ever seen in all of my years of ministry, which is coming on 25 years of ministry, one of the most impactful things I've ever seen is when white people with means love black people who have lesser means. <laughs> See, I'm the kind of preacher to say what make other people squirm. I say what you see but don't want to say. That's why I'm your pastor. And I pray that you'll be able to say it too. And you can say, man, it, it amazes me. When I first started working in Franklin, Tennessee, and I'm with Stu Southern and Scott Rowley and Paige Overton at the time was her name. My wife and I there, we had the chocolate drops in the room. And they praying for all these people that I knew were black based on the names. <laughs> Lord, would you help Quintavious? That's a brother. Lord, would you help Shamika? Oh, that's a sister. They praying, they praying, they praying, they praying. Then they take me out into the neighborhoods, and they know everybody, and people know them. And, and as I get close, I'm like, these white folks love black folks more than I love black folks. Because a lot of these black folks, I, I ain't got time for you, bruh. But I saw white folk, and it wasn't driven by pity. It was driven by charity. And that love changed me like, what? That, Jesus must be real. Look at that, because they don't have to do this. They could just write a check and feel better. But they got in the work of the ministry. I was like, man, these white folks are something else. And God started planting a seed for what a diverse church can look like. I would go into the street and, and black kids would say stuff to me because, you know, each community has private conversations. And black kids see me, they look around. Make sure no white people were there. And they say, you know, I don't like white people. But I sure like Paige and Scott. Wait a minute. You don't like white people, but you like Paige and Scott. Why do you like Paige and Scott? And what they were saying is because they just keep on loving us. And it ain't about gifts and goodies. It's about their presence and their words. And it began to knock down walls that black people had towards white folks. Love. So come 2014, I'm still blown away when I see white people 
that love on our people when I want to kick our people in the hind parts. I'm up at J.T. Moore, and the principal is a white man. But he loves all of those kids, and he has a special burden for young men of color. And they're in his office all the time. And he's working with them, and he's leading with mercy. He's leading with mercy, trying to love these boys into the right path. And I see him taking time doing this stuff. Now, I'm going to say this. He would never say this. So, Lord, please don't cancel out his reward. And it makes sense for why we're doing what we're doing right now as far as these things we're bringing to church today. We, we brought our school supplies to help the teachers, to help the students. The, the, the fellowship hall, you brought all kind of stuff, and thank you for that. And we'll, we'll pack those baskets this Wednesday to give to teachers to teach their students. Why? Because the teachers don't have the resources to teach the students. So we bought stuff to help them teach the students. But the principal said to me, what does he call me? He says, uh, preacher. He says, now, preacher, I just want you to know, I spend about ten to $20,000 out of my own pocket to take care of students at this school. And I said, man. And I just said to him, I'm glad we're here to come alongside of you to help to, so that we can see more African-American youths graduating and then graduating with honors. We have a vision. We can do it. But it starts with you coming up tutoring, standing in the gap. Why do you do it? It's love. It's love. So when I see that going on, I'm like, wow, it's amazing. So I want to encourage our white brothers. Um, I see one of my friends back there, Brother Perry, who has been ministering in the inner cities across the country, starting in Memphis, using a hammer, teaching kids that get put down in inner city schools, and they many times don't have the best uh, curriculum and supplies and facilities and teachers People are just going in there, going through the motions, and kids don't have a lot of sense to stand still and listen a bit. So our schools are a mess, but Perry goes into these places, and he teaches kids how math can be a fun thing. Because if they can't get math going into the fifth grade, they're not going to make it. Matter of fact, there are statistics out that they can tell how many prisons they're going to build based upon how many kids fail the fourth grade. And it's concentrated in the African-American community. But my man goes in who grew up and had dyslexia, didn't understand math himself, but he hung in there and God gave him a simple way of understanding math and architecture. And for the last 25 years, he's been teaching students around the country how to use a hammer and understand math. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for Perry. Thank you for Dr. Hughes. Thank you for the Marinick family. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's real. But I got to go. Let, let me say this last point because you like me now. You may not like me with this point. Go to chapter 39. Oh, Lord. I'm going to sit down. Preachers always say that. That's why we got to be covered by the blood because we lie when we say that. I'm going to sit down. You ain't going to sit down. You're going to preach till you finish. Chapter 39, verse 15. Meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison saying, this is before he gets his deliverance. God comes and speaks to him. Go and speak to Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian. Who was he, the guy that got you out the mud? 
and say to him, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid, for I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Finally, mud brothers empower each other. If we're going to do this thing for real, and we're going to move beyond integration and into what Dr. King called the beloved community, it's going to take mutual empowerment. Because there are some white people who come in like the great white hope, and they want to help white kids, black kids, to get a pat on their back. They don't really want to build relationship or think they can receive anything from them. They just want to come in and, you know, pity. But that's not the incarnational model that Jesus gives us. We're to live amongst those whom we serve. We're to become like them as we serve. Don't you know the grace of our Lord that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that we through his poverty might be made rich. The rich and the poor can have equality. Why? Because although the rich, they can give gifts, the poor can give faith. So there's mutual empowerment. And there are many ways to bless someone besides giving them things. When you share your life, when this kind of cross-pollination begins to happen, oh my goodness. It was a reciprocal relationship. Pastor, why you say that? Because on one hand, Ibed-Melech saved Jeremiah. Then on the other hand, Jeremiah saved Ibed-Melech because Ibed-Melech was terrified, thinking that they were going to kill him. He was afraid. But the Lord said, I haven't forgotten you, man of God. You stepped out for me. I'm going to step out for you. Jeremiah, give him a word. Give him a word, Jeremiah. Give him a word. And Jeremiah says, don't you be afraid. Your life will be like a prize. You will live. So he empowered Ibed-Melech, the way Ibed-Melech empowered him. That's what we do when we live in community. We empower each other. So the next time you see an African man in the Bible helping a Jewish man, it was when Simon from northern Africa helped carry the cross of Yeshua HaMashiach. You do know a black man carried the cross of Jesus. See, when you read the Bible with the proper lenses, you see this stuff like, wow, look at God's diverse kingdom. Look at his intentionality to include all folks who normally get excluded. And Simon from Cyrene, where's Cyrene? Northern Africa or Libya. He was picked out of the crowd to carry the cross for this Jewish man. And the Bible also tells me that there would be a Jew who would empower an Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8 when the Ethiopian was trying to read the word, didn't know, and then here comes Philip to empower him spiritually to know who Jesus was. Empowerment, that's the diverse kingdom. Now, it's not always neat, crisp, and clean. Yeah, it's going to be tough sometime, but man, I'm thankful for this church. Paul Revere, my God. Mm. When I met this white man years ago, he was my real estate agent. 
But before I grabbed him as our real estate agent, we had just moved to Franklin, you know, that high rent district. I'm living in an apartment, and that's high rent. But I'm like, man, okay, we need to put roots down. I want my money to go somewhere. I'm tired of pouring it down the hole. Let's get a house. So we grabbed one real estate agent. His name was Buddy. <laughs> buddy was not my buddy because Buddy kept taking me to some places that was like, wait a minute, Buddy. I know I want to minister to people in the inner city and those who are impoverished, but why? I didn't, I didn't even tell you that. But you keep taking me to every place. It's in the hood. Now, I love the hood, but he ain't called me to relocate in the hood while I reach the hood. Some folk got that call. But you just assume I'm supposed to live in the hood, and you're taking me to some broke-down, towed-down places. I had to get rid of Buddy. Buddy, buddy wasn't my buddy. And then here comes Paul Revere. Paul Revere comes. And you know how elegant and eloquent he is. And, you know, and he takes Dorena and I around parts of Franklin we didn't even know we could get into. But maybe we had Paul, so that's why we could get into some of these places. And he took us in some of these houses. And Paul was like, you can live anywhere you want to live. Like, what, Paul? What? Paul gave me hope. He didn't just subject me over here. He, he said, you can live wherever you want to live. And we ended up buying our first home in Franklin in a diverse neighborhood. It was a beautiful house. And I got to thank Paul. He empowered me. But he tells me I've empowered, empowered him all these years we've been together. Because he said to me not long ago, we were having a discussion and we were talking about the white flight that went on at Strong Tower Bible Church. Y'all know about the white flight. When we moved from Franklin, oh! way down here about six miles <laughs> and droves of white people just left the church some for a lot of legitimate reasons some for reasons I'm still trying to figure out some I'll never know whatever we're moving with who God has here but there have been some historical moments though when white people don't get their way they pull out there were some white people that didn't want to come here for I don't know they pulled out and when they saw that they couldn't control me, they pulled out. But that's a whole nother discussion. Maybe I'll talk about it when we have these G-race discussions about when a black man is leading a diverse congregation or people that's also uh, full of whites with means. Because dig this. He said to me, Pastor, I'm not going anywhere. You're my pastor. You don't know how much those words meant to me. He said, man, you're my pastor and you always will be. And he said, you know what? I love my church because this is where I get diversity in my life. Y'all, it was like water on my soul because I'm trying to figure out, am I too much of a Malcolm X brother? What did I do wrong? He empowered me. That's the diverse kingdom. Pastor, why is this relevant for today? Well, Ibed Melik was a type of Jesus. <laughs> Why was this black man a type of Jesus? Because Jeremiah was stuck in something he couldn't get out of. He needed a savior. And this man went and interceded on his behalf before the king and said, let me go rescue the man of God. That's what Jesus did for us. He interceded. He played a mediator place, and he came and he rescued us out of the mud. But not only is this relevant for that, it's relevant because Ibed Melek, now listen, black folk, I'm coming your way now. He had a preaching and winning overtime, just like the game. The game going overtime, you ain't going nowhere. Hold on. 
Unless you got a weak bladder, hold on. Here it is, black folk. White folk right now, they're about to amen, but they ain't going to say it out loud. Watch what Ibed Melek does. He showed no animosity towards the Jews. That's what do you mean, no animosity? Well, unless he was born a eunuch, who castrated him? The Jews did, which ruins his future posterity. He can't have children. He can't have a wife. Who did it to him? The white man, I'm the Jewish man. They also forbade him from worshiping in the temple. Who segregated his experience with Jehovah? The Jewish man did. And they gave him a job with no opportunity for upward mobility. Yeah, he had a good government job, but he couldn't go any higher. So he's in the middle of a system that keeps him hitting the ceiling. Yet when a Jewish man is in trouble, he doesn't say, well, I'm going to treat the whole people bad because some people mistreated me. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm not going to mistreat the whole of them because some of them hurt me this way. Jeremiah's a good man. <laughs> He's an anointed vessel of God. <laughs> and I'm going to help him because love is going to transcend color and race. It does the right thing the right way at the right time. All the time. That's love. And he had no animosity because he could have said, man, them folk cut off my stuff, man. Man. My family's messed up. I had no money. White man, the white man, the white man. Don't do that. Now, listen to this. Not every black person is where Ibed Melek was. Because some of us are like, man, I ain't holding white people, <laughs> you know, at fault for what is going on in my life. It's not the white man. I've got choices. Yep, I'm in a system that... Benefits whites many times, and it was set up by whites. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, no, no, no. God is my God, and, and He knows how to tilt the tables when the tables were tilted against me. He, he knows how to turn this thing around. Uh huh. Uh huh. And He's going to give me wisdom to navigate this society that still is built on racist principles. I'm not going to blame white people. But there are many black people that ain't there yet. They're not there. Any and everything can be an excuse to blame the police, and sometimes the police need to be blamed. Any and every excuse is to blame teachers and the administration and this and that. Sometimes we can call pull the race card so much that when legitimate race card issues come, we've diluted it so that we can't tell because everything is not a race issue, black people. And to my white people, I say, Stop saying that nothing is a race issue. Please. Is there a kingdom people that can walk the balance and navigate and understand? Because today or maybe tomorrow, we're going to hear reports from out of St. Louis on whether this police officer is going to be indicted or not. What will the body of Christ say? How will the body of Christ respond? I can imagine black Christians are going to be over here. 
white Christians are going to be over there and never the two shall meet. Oh, Lord. But if something jumped off like that in Nashville, where would this church be? Well, listen to this. Ongoing frustration leads to animosity. A lot of us are frustrated, and we have animosity towards white people. But it's imperative that the historical oppressor seeks to understand the frustration of the historically oppressed. Just don't say, man, y'all shouldn't get mad. Don't jump to conclusions. Seek to understand why there has been so much frustration that has led to animosity. Don't look at the animosity and just cut off the black community. Try to understand. And if you can't understand, ask God to give you compassion in the meantime. Because if this thing comes out and this officer is not indicted and brought before a trial, and that's just a symptom. Now, to get out of the mud, that's why this is relevant, y'all. I'm coming back to the white people now. Black people, y'all might say amen on them. To get out of the mud, Jeremiah had to submit to an African man. Jeremiah's in a tough place. The only one that's come to help him is a black man. The black man throws him a lifeline. Jeremiah could have said, I don't accept help from darkies. I don't submit to the instruction of Africans. So I'm just going to sit here and sink. Because just as every black person is not where Ibed Melik is, every white person is not where Jeremiah is that can receive help from an African-American leader. Because you know some of your parents hate the fact that you come to a black church. That's the private conversation you have. But you recognize, hey, let me tell you something. Yeah, my pastor is black. God made him that way. And he happens to be a fine black man, too. (laughs) You know, he looks good. But let me tell you why I go to that church. (laughs) I go to that church because I believe that man has the word of God in his mouth. And he's throwing out a lifeline in the name of Jesus from the word of God to help any and everybody. Because the love of God transcends race, color, class, and creed. That's why I submit to that black man. (laughs) But everybody ain't there yet. It takes time to build trust. Well, as I close for real and Stephanie comes, be a mud brother to another regardless of color. And if you don't have a mud brother or a mud sister, man, this is the place to find one. Let's develop authentic relationships in this place that go beyond meeting in this place. Man, let's share our lives, our homes, our issues, our problems. But I close with a prayer to bring it back around to where many of us find ourselves, and that is, man, we sink sometimes. And we're struggling. Whether you're rich or poor, Baptist or Pentecostal, black, white, Latino, Native American, Asian, we all suffer and we all hurt. And like David said in Psalm 40, I was sinking in the mire. 
and I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard my cry. He inclined towards me, and he lifted me up out of the mire. David, how'd you get in the mire? Did you do something? Did somebody do something to you? It doesn't matter. I'm in some stuff. He heard my cry, and he lifted me out, and he put my feet upon the rock, and he established my goings. There's somebody in some mud today. You just need some prayer. You may need a mud brother to lay his hands on you, a mud sister to lay her hand. Oh, would you stand with me right now? Would you stand? Stand with me to your feet. See, Jeremiah cried out to God in that hole. But God sent a man to help get him out of that hole. Because God is so wired us that we need him and one another to get out of the stuff we're in. Let's pray. Father God, I don't even need to ask for a show of hands. We all find ourselves at times in pits. and We're struggling emotionally and spiritually and financially and physically and sexually and relationally. Hmm. But we're so glad that you hear us even in the pit. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. We cry out to you saying, Lord, lift us up. And if you have to, Lord, send somebody with a word in their mouth. Send somebody with some ingenuity to help lift us up out of this hole of debt. Send somebody to help lift us out of this marital hole that we're in, being a single and a miserable hole. Send somebody with a word in their mouth to lift us up, God, so that we can then in turn turn around and lift somebody up too. Keep moving this church toward the blessed community and not just integration. Thank you, Father. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.